I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com. That's where we have bargains for you listed throughout the day and night every day of the week. Coming up in just a little while, today's Clark Rageous Moment concerns greater risk for students now and taking out student loans. I've got a special warning for you. You've got to know. And coming up yet later, payday loans are such an ugly thing. Interest rates typically a 400 to 800% on a payday loan storefront lender. I want to tell you about an alternative that's available to more and more of us without having to pay crazy interest rates. I want to talk right now about something that is so serious to me, bothers me so much. New report from the AAA that the number of people who are dying in accidents from red light runners has skyrocketed and has hit at least a 10-year high. And the number of fatalities is up by over 30% in just the last several years. Uh, AAA did not verify why this was happening. There were only guesses. But you know, you know, as you're driving around, look how many people around you as you drive are looking at their phones, doing who knows what, texting while they're watching, watching video, texting while they're driving, watching their phones instead of watching the roads. and Or whatever they're doing, distracted, keeping their eyes off the road. I mean, you know that's what it's got to be because the amount of miles we're driving is not up that much to anywhere account for the increased number of fatalities from red light runners. So I want to tell you what I've done in my own driving because of the problem with people running red lights or blowing through stop signs. And what I do now, when I'm at a red light, and I know sometimes it seems like they're never going to turn green, But eventually they do. When it turns green, if I'm the first vehicle, I don't go for like half a second. I know that annoys whoever's behind me. But I do that because I want to make sure that nobody's going to blow through that red light. Because all it takes is one time that you pull into an intersection when the light turns green and somebody blows through that light, that you can be T-boned and be hurt or worse. So just take that one half second, and that could make a big difference in your life. And for you, if you're sitting there looking at your phone, police departments are getting more and more creative. I saw an item from a TV station where the police were posing as construction workers. And that's one I've read before where 
that's a new gig where they pretend they're construction workers and then they just radio ahead to a policeman waiting to point you over and write you a ticket that, hey, the person in the red Toyota Corolla was looking at their phone or whatever it is and they pull you over, bam, you get the ticket in states where you get tickets for texting while driving, looking at your phone, hands-free laws. It's really pretty simple. If you don't care about the other person's life, at least care about your own. Because I, as I've shared with you in the past, when I'm driving, you see the cars weaving around you, particularly on freeways. And what are they doing? They're looking at their phones. And the consequences for you as a driver can be deadly. Even if you don't care about the other people you might run into, at least think about yourself. That's all I can ask. Gregory's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gregory. Hi, but call me Greg, please. That reminds me of my mom when I was a kid when she was mad at me. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, Greg. People call me anything. I answer just about anything. Sometimes they're not very nice words people call me. Oh, uh, I doubt that. <laughs> it's okay. So, so it's you live in California. You live in California, which was as I recall, the first state that got really strict on uh, touching your phone. And I've noticed, you know, a lot of times in L.A. traffic that an officer will pull up typically on a motorcycle, motorcycle cop, see somebody at a red light who's looking at the phone, where they're looking at it just waiting for the light to change. They'll just point them over and they write the ticket even when they're sitting still. You can't look at the phone. I have heard of that. Hadn't happened to you yet, huh? No, it has not, thankfully. Well, good. So, Greg, how can I serve you? <laughs> okay, well, I was last week trying to do my credit freezes, and it was super cumbersome. And oh, I'm sorry. And, and I had to call in and wait in the hold and all that good stuff. And well, the credit lock was just a literally a flip of a switch. Okay, wait, so wait, wait. I got to understand this. How come you couldn't do the credit freeze easily online? I have no idea, but all three credit bureaus wouldn't let me do it. They all said, can't do it. Got to call in. Wow, that's really concerning to me. Yeah. Because that would make me suspicious that something is fishy on your credit reports. Have you hmm. seen your credit reports recently? Yes. And everything looks normal? I think so. Uh, no odd addresses listed in history or anything like that? No, but I will check now that you're bringing it up. Okay, I want to make you a little bit paranoid. Actually, I want to make you a lot paranoid right now. <laughs> because when you are blocked from putting a credit freeze in place, it often means that something is not right on that credit report, either an error um, in information about you or past address history or something, because you went through the challenge questions, and then they rejected you. Yep, all three of them said I had to call in, and I Uh did get through to one of them, and they they were able to freeze it, but after waiting on hold for a very long time. So let me tell you why the credit bureaus are so happy for you to do a credit lock instead of a freeze. Okay. Most of their money is made from building a dossier on you 
where they take information that they obtain through uh, what people file on you with the credit bureaus on you know how you paid this bill or that one or what lines of credit you have or whatever. And then they take information from other sources, either they own or they buy, where they can develop a significant electronic dossier on you that they sell over and over again to companies that are either marketing companies or businesses or whatever that are looking for people to prospect. It can be for all different purposes other than credit. So what the lock does is it only restricts somebody being able to apply for credit in your name, but it allows the credit bureaus to make their big money, which is building more and more deep files on you that they sell off repeatedly. Mm. So that's why they all push credit lock, because if you do a credit freeze, they lose the ability to make any of the revenue on you that they normally make. With a credit lock, they only lose the revenue of you being able to apply for credit till you unlock your credit temporarily. Uh, The other thing is that with credit lock, generally the bureaus uh, have a protection for themselves from anybody suing them if they've engaged in negligence or gross negligence, like what happened with Equifax. Okay. So the freeze is far superior for your privacy over a lock, but for the bureaus, they'll they'll push lock every day of the week because it's so much better for them. So you'll have to make your own choice, Greg, since you've had this problem with being able to easily freeze and thaw your credit doing it all electronically. It's weird they'll let you lock your credit when there's some kind of problem with your file, but that they won't let you freeze it when there's some kind of problem with your file. That also makes me wonder how effective credit lock is. Susie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Susie. Hey, Clark. Susie, you are interested in getting more than a microscopic rate of interest from your bank. Yes, I wanted to try online savings for money that I don't frequently access my emergency fund, et cetera. And I see your guide and I, I looked up on Bankrate all the top earners. But then as I further look into the reviews, I see some bad reviews based on customer service or issues that aren't resolved very easily. And so I just want to make sure I'm not going to be, um, I want to choose the right one that's not going to be a hassle. Well, What am I looking is, for? This is fascinating because... I'll tell you that with the online banks for savings accounts and CDs, we really never, ever hear a complaint. Okay. You know, because they're such simple linear transactions. You know, you just give them the money, which basically you're lending money to these online banks. And then when you want it back, they give it back to you. And so what kind of problems are you seeing that people are having? Well, you know, sometimes you just don't know all these reviewers if they're just kind of complainers or drama (laughs) follows them. But just a lot of it was customer service kind of not existent or not or they had issues that took a long time to get resolved or deposits 
or I mean um, withdrawals that took them a long time to get. Really? Because the way it, the system's set up generally with the online banks is unless you use one for all your banking with checking and mm-hmm. savings and maybe credit card and all that, if you just use them as a place to stash cash for savings or CDs, mm-hmm. when you want to move the money to where you have your checking account, it's usually two days from when you request the money till you have the money. And okay. so I guess occasionally there will be some kind of mess up and maybe there's a few of these online banks that um, that have learned to specialize in customer no service, but that's not been on my radar as a problem. Okay. You know, yeah, I just, let me tell I, you, I'll, I'll keep my regular banking at the credit union, so I just would transfer money back and forth, I suppose. Sure, that should be no problem at all. And if this was a continual problem, it would be something that we would be hearing from people. And we're not okay. hearing it in our offline help center, and we're not hearing it here on the show. So well, great. The two things I want you to think about, though. The savings rates from the online savings accounts have been dropping. As mm-hmm. the economy's been slowing, those rates have been dropping. You can still earn right now, if you shop around, about 2.5% on right. your savings account. But those rates are going to decline unless yeah. there's some miraculous turnaround in the direction of the economy. So the alternative or mix that I've been recommending is money you know you need to have as hot money for unexpected expenses. Put it in the online savings, but money that you're comfortable leaving aside for a year, put it in a one-year CD. Okay, that's a great idea. I'll do a mix. Yeah, because that way you've locked in the best rates out there, and then you have the other money that floats with the market. So you give the economy time to get stronger again and rates maybe to rise again by doing that blend. Today's Clark Rages moment is so important for you to know about. If you are considering going back to school to get a particular skill where you would be going to a for-profit training center or school, The reason this is something you've got to understand is a lot of the for-profit schools are student loan mills. They do very heavy recruiting and advertising to try to get people to sign up for a training program or education program and get your name on student loans, and that's how the schools are so heavily funded. The problem is a lot of these schools have gone insolvent or engaged in bust-outs. And students end up partially through a course program or whatever, don't get the training that you need for work, and then the school's gone, the principals of the school may have made off with millions, and you're stuck with the student loan debt. Well, under the federal regulations, you're able to ask for forgiveness of those loans, what's known as borrower's defense, if the school did not deliver on the education promised, and then you're not responsible for the student loans. But new regulations just proposed by the Department of Education will leave you 
fully exposed for that debt with a near impossibility of having the debt removed even if you were defrauded by a student loan mill school. So you're left on your own. That makes it so important that prevention's the best cure. Be very careful before you ever go to any for-profit trade or training program. First start at a state-supported technical college because the program that you're being heavily recruited for that costs a fortune may be available nearly for free from your state-supported technical college system. But be very cautious. Talk to employers before you ever sign up for any for-profit school program to make sure that employers really do hire from that place anyway. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. So when you're short of money, there are plenty of people out there that will smile at you and lend you that money that you need. You're like, really? There are? Yeah. In most states, this is a legal activity. There are several it's not. And it's where you take out what's known in the lingo of the trade, a payday loan. Payday loans are disgusting. They have interest rates that range typically from 400% to 800%. I don't know anyone who ever said when they got up in the morning, Yippee, I'm going to go take out an 800% interest rate loan. They take advantage of people's desperation and dig them a deeper hole. Payday lenders make their real money from people realizing after they take out a payday loan, they can't pay it off a couple weeks later. They take out a new one and then another and then another and then another. And before you know it, what was a minor financial problem in somebody's life becomes a catastrophic disaster that can leave somebody beyond broke. So what's the alternative? Because payday lenders are very borrower-friendly, at least at the point of borrowing money. They're open long hours. They're very respectful to people, very friendly to you. And you walk into a place that's not intimidating at all, like a traditional bank branch. So the payday loans uh, feel very good to people till they get hit with the consequences. But what do you do where roughly uh, more than half of Americans now cannot handle an unexpected expense? used to be 40%. Now it's much higher than that. What do you do when you need the money? Well, there's something I talked about two years ago that at that point was a small experiment at a small number of employers and now has spread around the country. And although not a majority of companies do, larger and larger numbers do, you have about a one in seven chance, one in six chance that you work for an employer that will provide you with an emergency loan or an advance against your paycheck at interest rates instead of being 400 to 800 percent 
usually somewhere uh, 4 to 10%. Employers do it because they have real problems with employees who get into extreme financial distress, that they uh, lose their ability to be a very productive worker. Most people can't cordon off in their lives, can't compartmentalize, and the stress from the money that they owe undermines their ability to be a good worker. And so that's why more and more employers are doing this, not out of the goodness of their hearts, but what's called enlightened self-interest, where they do something good for you because it comes back to being good for that employer. So ask where you work. Another thing a lot of big companies have is they have an employee assistance fund that if something really bad is going on in your life, you can't regularly and routinely go to this well, but if something happens, you can go to that employee assistance fund and you put in a request, and if they grant it, it's not even a loan. They give you the money, and if you wish, you can pay it back, but if you can't, you don't have to. But again, at most places, that's a one-time only kind of thing for an unexpected expense. Um, Some companies even have a fund that employees contribute to that's an employee emergency fund that you're then getting money from your fellow employees in order to deal with a tough spot in your life. Casey's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Casey. Hi, Clark. Good afternoon. How are you? Great. Thank you, Casey. So you have done great um, getting towards the end of your mortgage. Tell me about that. Right. So, yeah, so we bought our house in 2009, uh, 15-year mortgage. Uh, we were very fortunate over the last year to be able to put some significant strides into paying our mortgage off. And we're expecting to have it paid off next year, Lord willing. Um, so we're really excited about that. So wait, wait, your loan's going to go from a 15-year loan to basically an 11-year loan? 10. 10? Uh, 10, yeah. Yep. That's great. That yeah, feels so good, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, uh, you know, we were really excited about it uh, until a couple weeks ago. We um, had a letter in the mail from our current lender who we chose to um, fund us for the, the home we bought in 2009. Um, we got a letter from them stating that they were selling our loan to another service provider. Yeah. In, in general, that's okay. I've had mortgages before where that's been done. No, generally um, that's not a great thing um, because right. even if the servicer is decent, a lot of times the records handoff is not done well and the balance on your loan, particularly like where you've been paying extra to get this loan paid off quicker, a lot of times the proper loan balance does not transfer and not to your favor where they'll end up reflecting that you owe more money than you actually owe. Right. And I'm fully expecting that once I actually have access to uh, our loan documents through the new servicer. Um, as of right now, they're still anticipating that not to happen until the ninth, And the loan was to, supposed to be transferred on the 1st, which is the date that our payments are due. But in, in, So this company that the service was, the loan was uh, transferred to, um, I had never heard of them before. 
And so just some quick searching online just to make sure that I understood who's now going to be servicing my loan, et cetera. And these guys get absolutely deplorable reviews. Oh, um, you'd oh be I'm so sorry. To find out of the thousand reviews recently, one or two that are positive. Almost <laughs> 100% of these are negative. That's terrible. The company we're with now is one of the highest rated in customer service. The company we're going to is one of the lowest rated. All right. And, let's you know, talk through us, how you handle this then. Sure. The good news is you're almost done with them no matter what. So let's talk through possibilities. What is the interest rate on the loan you have? 4.3. All right. So that presents a potentially pretty easy solution for you. Okay. Is you could, you've got massive equity in your home. Right. You could potentially take out a home equity line of credit, a HELOC. It would be a floating rate, but likely you'd be able to find one that would be below what you're paying right now on your mortgage. Okay. You have very little time left to pay on the mortgage. There's very little interest rate risk for you in that, where normally the interest changes, uh, you know, can change as much as every month. Interest rates on floating rate loans have been going down, not up. So it is potentially a way for you to save a little bit of money and be done with them. Okay. Are you a member of a credit union? I am. I would see if your credit union does HELOCs, they would be competitive with what your interest rate is on this mortgage. And then I just um, essentially refinance with them pay off the remaining mortgage balance and you're done with this lousy servicer and you're okay. paying off the credit union you already know and you can pay it off as quick as you want. The interest is calculated daily instead of monthly. So you could send them, so, so we, send them a small payment every week if you wanted. So we owe around $47,000. Does it, to do a HELOC, I mean, what, what, are, what are typically the refinance charges there? Is it, a lot of a lot of financial institutions make HELOCs free. Okay. And it just depends on your credit union if they do free HELOCs or okay. charge you. All right. And if Very that good. doesn't pan out, I want you to print out an amortization schedule on your loan so you can properly make sure they're calculating the interest right on this remaining balance you have. And I want you to be able, with the amortization calculators, you can use either an app on your phone or just go on your computer and do one. You'll be able to track the loan and any extra payments you make to make sure that the balance is tracking perfectly with the new lender. Okay. And having that kind of documentation is especially important whenever servicing is transferred on a loan. And I'm really sorry that the end of your time with your loan is going to be potentially with these lousy people. But the great news is the end of your loan is a lot quicker than it would have been if you weren't doing so much to get this loan paid off. So good for you on that. Tyler's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Tyler, you have an unusual question for me about your rent at an apartment. Hit me with it. Uh, so I heard there was these companies that uh, can, if you basically just pay them and then they uh, they pay your landlord or however it works and uh, there's a small fee and it goes on to your credit report. And I was wondering if those are 
legitimate or not worth not worth it. So if your credit file is thin, using one of these companies that reports your rent payment to the credit bureau is a very useful thing. As long as you pay your rent on time every month, it's a potentially really good help for you with your credit. But unfortunately, there's a meaningful cost with it. These things cost, uh, there are lots of competitors doing it. And usually you pay somewhere between um, like $40 a year on up to as much as $120 a year. Some of them have no setup fee. Others charge, uh, you know, like $100 or so setup fee. So the market has a lot of players in it. You just got to find one that's affordable. How much is it for the one that you have heard about or looked at? Uh, I believe it was about six ninety-five a month. So 84 bucks a year. And is there a setup fee? Uh, not to my knowledge. No. All right. Uh, call back and find that out. Okay. Because the setup fees, again, if you're having to pay 100 or so dollars to set it up and having to pay $84 a year, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So as far as doing it and having it be beneficial to you, the other part of the equation is you need to know how many credit bureaus they report to. A lot of these only report to a single credit bureau, and that's not going to get the job done for you. Yeah. You need one that reports to all three, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, for it to be truly useful for you. Otherwise, it's not worth paying those fees. Okay. What other credit do you actually have? Uh, Credit card. You have a credit card? Uh, I have three. You have three. And do you know what your credit score is right now? Uh, It's in the low 600s. All right, so if you have three credit cards, you probably don't need one of these uh, report my rent services. Okay. What would be more important is how you're handling those three credit cards. And key with that, do you know what your credit limits are on those three cards? Roughly about 500 of each. Okay, and how much of that uh, 1500 total credit are you charged up uh well i've gotten it down i'm um, close to hitting 30 uh 30 percent there okay that's great because that will have the greatest beneficial effect for you obviously paying those credit cards on time every month but paying uh on a very small balance is especially good so if you can get your utilization down from that 30 percent uh, which is great you're getting there, that's going to have the most long-term benefit for you. In your case, I wouldn't do one of these rental reporting things. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. And producer Joel asks your question for you. Who's up? Clark, Tanya's up. And she says, I have investment accounts with a bunch of different companies like Fidelity, Schwab, and Vanguard. I've considered combining accounts, but would it be better to keep them in different houses given the hacking and breach exposure that we live in in today's world? Thanks so much. Love the show. Well, gosh, I haven't thought about the hacking standpoint. When you have accounts, at, I mean, those are the big three discounters, being at Schwab, Fidelity, and Vanguard. It adds more complexity to your life having accounts at all three. And it would be a lot better for you in terms of simplicity if you only had accounts at one or two. So unless there's a great reason to have money at all three because of the particular kinds of accounts you have or something like that, I would dial it back and get down to a simpler portfolio. On the issue of hacking, so there were a lot of things that happened before we were worrying about hacking and rules that went into place after the September 11th, 01 terrorist attacks And one of them is the security procedures that these institutions have to put in place, both banks and brokerages and financial houses like Vanguard, Schwab, and Fidelity. And so I am not particularly worried about what would happen with a hack. But what I would say to you is know the policies of each of these three and what happens if there is fraud on your account? How do they stand behind you? And with with a traditional bank, if your account is hacked or there's fraud on your account, the bank legally is required to restore your money. In the case of a broker, it's up to the broker what their explicit policies will be. So I would ask the question of all three of these financial houses, what are their written policies on what happens if there's a compromise of your account because of a hack or data breach, how are you protected? And if there's not a clear written policy, that would tell me very important information about them. All right, Clark, Lynn's got a quick question. She says, are green green dot cards legitimate? Green dot cards are legitimate. They're pretty pricey in terms of the fees but it is a legitimate way to have a stored value card or a debit card. As an alternative, lower cost, look at the card from American Express that is called the Bluebird card and go check it out at bluebird.com. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.